everyone. Welcome back to Christian's Colloquy. I'm Christian, and I'm so glad that you could join us this week. As you could see, I'm not alone today. I'm joined by my friend Josiah. Josiah, thanks for joining us on the channel today. How are you? No problem. It's good to be here. I'm pretty good today. Excellent. I'm very glad to hear that. This has been, I believe, a, a long-awaited episode on my channel. I advertise I'd be getting some interesting interviews over the summer, and you're my first interesting interview over the summer. And <laughs> You're, you're going to be telling us about Pentecostalism um, and I think Pentecostalism in Canada with uh, the PAOC. So we'll, hopefully I got that right. But we'll, we'll dive into that in a moment. But first, why don't you just introduce yourself, who you are, what you're about, and anything you think is relevant to your life and story. Yeah, so uh, my name is Josiah Blenko. I was born in Stovall just by Toronto, similar to you. Uh, and I went to Bible college just after high school. I was in there for four or five years, ended up getting out and uh, didn't get a church job right away, kind of wasn't sure where I was going exactly. Uh, so I ended up finding a wife instead, nice. which was pretty good. So yep. now I live with my wife in Eastern Ontario, and we're actually moving to BC in a couple of weeks to start my first church position. Nice. So that's pretty exciting. Excellent. That, that is big time exciting. We've been chatting a bit about that, but uh, we're a couple of GTA boys and <laughs> moving out of the GTA, that's a big deal where you have everything around here, but so moving out of it, it's uh, it's nice, but I'm glad you've been called to that, and I'm sure God will bless your ministry. So why don't we dive right in? As you mentioned, you're a Pentecostal, and uh, I know for most of my viewers here, I'm making a bold assumption, but we're evangelical Baptists, and we share the evangelical part, but uh, when it comes to Pentecostals and Baptists, there are some differences there so why don't you just start us off what does it mean to be a Pentecostal where do you come from and maybe you want to take that in the direction of your specific uh context here in your Canadian Pentecostal denomination yeah okay well uh Pentecostalism is definitely one of the newer Christian movements it's only been around since the early 1900s mm. uh, and Canadian Pentecostalism started around the same time as you know American and kind of all happened all at once we're pretty close to but in uh, Canada, it started uh, in the 1900s, I think it was 1906 or 1905 in Toronto, which was probably the main hub for Pentecostalism in the beginning. Mm. Uh, there's a woman named Ellen Hebden. She was English. She moved to Canada. I don't know when. I believe she was Anglican in the past, but mm. when she came here, she started her own kind of healing house, prayer house kind of church in the East End of Toronto. They called it the East End Mission or the Hebden Mission. I've actually seen it once taking a Pentecostal history class. I don't think it's there anymore, but it was pretty interesting. Nice. But yeah, she, um, and along with many others, like uh, in the US, they uh, kind of learned about baptism of the Holy Spirit and had the experience of speaking in tongues all around the same times. And it became a, a doctrine. And I guess in the, that was kind of more an American thing with um, Charles Fox Parham. He owned a, or ran at Bible college in Topeka, Kansas. And I think the one, I don't know when it was, I think it was like 1900 or something. He asked his students to say, or to go search what's the, the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they went and they decided it was tongues. Mm. And I think the following year, um, Agnes Osman, who was part of that school or somehow involved with Charles Fox Parham, spoke in tongues and she's kind of credited as the first uh, modern person to speak in tongues kind of thing, or at least for this movement. And that was in the U.S., Right. I mean, that kind of spread it a little bit. And then here comes Ellen Hebden in Toronto, and she became the first Canadian to speak in tongues or 
I guess more specifically be baptized in the Holy Spirit, at least mm. with this kind of mindset. Right. So may, maybe just stopping there for, for a brief question, uh, speaking in tongues. I know a lot of people might have some perception of what that might be or what that might look like. And we're going to get into theology in, in, a, in a bit now, but maybe just right here, since it seems like this is part of the critical founding, I suppose, of the movement or how you conceive of the history. What what do you mean exactly when you say uh, she was the first person to speak in tongues in this movement? What does that mean or look like? Uh, so for speaking in tongues, it would have been, at least in this point of time, things have changed a little bit. Mm. Uh, she, I guess, would have been in prayer and the spirit would have empowered her to speak in another language or in another tongue. So she would have been speaking, not really sure what she was saying, but right. all the while feeling as if she's praising God or um, praying to God. And I think it even mentions she was singing, which isn't the normal speaking in tongues, but interesting. Yeah. So it's uh, speaking in another tongue that you do not know. And in this case, she was alone. So just kind of praising God uh, with obviously the spirit's power and not, not of her own. So right. kind of a very supernatural experience for her. Okay. Well, th thank you for explaining that. And as, as I mentioned, we'll get into, I'm sure a bit more the, the development or maybe changes. What, what was her name again? Uh, Ellen Hebden. Ellen Hebden. So I'll, I'll try and find, maybe, maybe we'll talk a bit more later, a resource that I can share for people interested in Ellen Hebden. And may, maybe now just briefly on her, seeing her as a founder. I know for some movements in evangelicalism, there, there's typically a founder that, that they're attributed to. I'm thinking of like uh, the, the Methodist denominations or the Adventist denominations. And in the Pentecostals, it sounds like there's normally a preacher at the start or someone with this experience, would you consider Hebden a, a, a preacher kind of figure, a prophet kind of figure? What What is she to the movement today when you look back at her? Uh, I guess in the movement, she'd probably be a uh, prophet, healer, and I guess preacher. I think those are her three main things. She's okay. probably not very well known among Pentecostals. Mm. I mean, I only really know her because I took a class on it. Right, but right. The AOC probably, uh, well, other denominations or movements have more of like a centralized figure who was at the beginning the paoc or at least in canada doesn't really have one because she ended up later on she wasn't even she didn't even join the paoc oh interesting just so kind of weird right but there are a couple other names like Ari McAllister and um age argue but there's no one big name i would say okay uh well unless you go to the states but then you have um oh i forgot his name william seymour i think seymour yeah that's right the, the first big name in pentecostalism okay yeah, that, that's yeah Okay, very helpful. And uh, you got my, my mind rolling there on a couple of things. So I'll, I'll get these questions in briefly. And again, this isn't, uh, I didn't <laughs> prepare you too well for this. So uh, uh, if you if you don't know, or if you don't have an answer that that's uh, not a problem, but you grew up in this. So I, I think you'll, you'll probably know more than, uh, uh, than, well, definitely than I would. So uh, just, <laughs> just a, a couple questions then. And this, this is a, a low ball, but people might not know PAOC what, what exactly does that stand for is the first question. Okay, yeah, the PAOC is the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. Okay, very good. That, that, that was the easy one. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, now th this might be a little bit trickier. I know people, uh, maybe uh, especially some of my audience who are more familiar with the American context, this is a classic Canadian uh, gripe that even in Canada, we know American stuff better. So I, I think a lot of people would be familiar with uh, the Assemblies of God, the AOG, in America, they might be familiar with uh, 
uh, Kojic, the Church of God in Christ, and those Pentecostal American groups. Is there any connection now or historically between the PAOC and groups like the AOG or uh, the Churches of God? Yeah, the POC has a, a strong historical connection to the AOG for sure. Okay. Uh, I know the AOG formed first, I think a few years before the PAOC did, mm. but a couple, I think even a year after the PAOC formed, it joined along with Western Canadians, uh, the AOG as a district. So they were part of the AOG in the very beginning, and they even used their um, statement of fundamental truths even a little bit after that they left the okay. AOG. And I think now there's still a strong connection. I don't know if they're how the affiliation works, but I do remember in college, like we had AOG people come to our school, which was a PAOC school and visit. So there's definitely hmm. uh, a connection and they're, I feel like they're practically the same in belief anyways. So, right. Okay. That, that makes sense. And maybe if you were visiting somewhere in the States and you were going to a new city, the first place you'd check out is probably an AOG church. And if they were yeah. coming up, they'd check it. Okay. So it's sort of like that fraternal kind of connection and may, maybe in the early days, a bit of a, a big brother, little brother kind of situation with uh, the statement of faith. Okay. That that's great. And that, that might help some of my audience trying to figure out the, the sort of flavor tone of the history there. So maybe moving a bit history slash theological distinctives, but th this might be a bit more controversial. And I, I should have mentioned this beforehand, but you, you were the one who told me this history initially, I think, but, uh, like Pentecost. So most denominations, when you look in their history, they're ha they have their historic battles and, and questions. I know in early Baptist history, I, I'm seeing some parallels where the, the earliest Baptist, uh, Smith, he actually became a Mennonite after, so he didn't stick with the Baptists. That sounded like heaven. And uh, I know Baptists also had some big debates in the beginning about uh, certain doctrines related to the Trinity and to the Godhead. And I think it was you who was mentioning to me there might have been an initial battle or struggle in, in the Pentecostal world with the oneness uh, Pentecostal, uh, I guess, stream versus, I guess, the mainstream Trinitarian stream. Is that something that uh, happened in Canada or is there any history to that? Where, was the PAOC ever embroiled in a, in a conflict over a Trinity uh, doctrine or anything like that? Yeah, it kind of was. I think a little bit before it formed, there was mm -hmm. definitely... I don't know how big of a split, but there were definitely some people in the Canadian Pentecostalism that were oneness focused. And even one of the big guys, R.E. McAllister, who I'm pretty sure he's in Ontario and one of the founders of the PAOC. I'm not sure to what extent he was oneness, but he did believe in, at least in the beginning, baptizing in Jesus name only. Uh, okay. So I believe in uh, 1913 or something, he went down to a, a apostolic faith conference that was supposed to be like uh, all the Pentecostals gather and at this camp and preach and stuff so mm -hmm. he preached a, a sermon about how we should only baptize in jesus name and that kind of encouraged some other guys to take that as well and from mm -hmm. then on i don't know if that's the exact you know spark that caused oneness but it definitely helped right bring oneness to fruition mm -hmm. so Artie McAllister kind of was unfortunately a big guy in that right and i think he believed it for a bit but then i think it was even maybe even Amy Semple McPherson I read was kind of helping in Canada turn the tide towards Trinitarianism. Yeah. And I think she might've possibly even influenced Ari McAllister, mm. but anyways, Ari McAllister eventually realized his mistake. And I'm pretty sure he worked pretty hard to combat that. He was towards the end, or at least or later on, he was known as a pretty staunch Trinitarian and would always kind of work against oneness. So definitely yeah. a big, uh, 
a big part of it of starting that but they uh i think they paid for it i think there might have even been a church split at some point the paoc i don't know what the other church would have been called but it mm -hmm. definitely was a, a big big a big issue in the beginning i think they even called it the new issue in like the one book i have oh interesting okay so but that i'm i'm glad to hear so here we are today two trinitarians and it sounds like today at least and i i presume going forward there the PAOC is firmly committed to the doctrine of the Trinity, our triune God, and that that's something we share. So, so maybe that that's a, a transition point to now talking about uh, Pentecostal doctrine and uh, I guess uh, the doctrinal standards, however we want to phrase it today. And we already confirmed Pentecostals are Trinitarian. Maybe we could just work through a couple more doctrines like that. Would you hold to justification by faith alone and those traditional Protestant doctrines that will will speak of the solas? Yeah, of course, most of the traditional ones, uh, probably all of them, I, I think, or anything a regular evangelical in the States would believe that's not Pentecostal, you'd probably also have a Pentecostal belief here. So yeah, justification by faith, mm. uh, the Trinity. Um, yeah, they don't, I don't think there's anything major that they believe that's kind of controversial. Right, right. So, so and, and I think that helps, I know, for a lot of I guess people today are wondering what what exactly do Pentecostals believe? I think Pentecostals often uh, just from the outside, it's easier to see some of those differences and forget like, hey, no, we have a, a massive base that we share when it comes to justification, the Godhead, uh, the atonement, I, I'm pretty sure with penal substitution. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah. Okay. So, so I am, so I am, it's sounding like we're sharing a baseline evangelical faith. And it sounds like even maybe you mentioned uh, uh, some of your early leaders might have come out of Anglicanism and uh, for Baptists, that's definitely the same story. So it's that there's rooted in the the English Reformation, the evangelical revivals and awakening and then movements which uh, come along afterwards. So that hopefully clears up if anyone was wondering, hey, are Pentecostals part of the family? Well, I know for Canada, I think uh, the, my fellowship Baptist and I believe the PAOC are part of the broader evangelical network and work together on some uh, maybe political issues or, or that kind of thing. I know euthanasia and uh, like adoption, things like that, we will work together on. So may, maybe now we mentioned it a bit before, we, we laid the foundation, we share a lot. Maybe let's talk a bit more about some of those differences where people might have some confusion. You mentioned speaking in tongues where initially uh, it might've been a private thing and singing involved. And you mentioned that today it might look a little different. So. What are the theological distinctives of Pentecostalism in the 21st century compared to, uh, let, let's say, the, the standard evangelical experience? Yeah, I guess, well, the biggest one that everyone kind of thinks of is definitely tongues mm -hmm. and uh, I guess the other miraculous gifts of the spirit. Right. Uh, tongues being, I mean, nowadays, I mean, not so much in the past, but many other evangelical churches do believe, but they don't really practice tongues as much. Right. Whereas in the Pentecostal church, you'll find still not as much as the past even but still a lot more than other uh, evangelical churches so uh for a pentecostal the the belief that anyway the fellowship believes you know tongues the gift of tongues itself is uh it's a gift given by the spirit that's given for the uh, good of all believers or the common good of the church so someone will speak in tongues and the belief is that someone also if it's in a congregational setting will have the gift of interpretation and interpret so that it, we can know what they say and can be built up by it. Uh, we also would believe that, you know, tongues can be a private thing. 
Mm. Uh, if you're speaking at home alone in tongues, that's also something that can build up oneself. Uh, Pentecostals do kind of, Pentecostals aren't always the best at staying at what's supposed to be believed. So often you will find Pentecostals speaking in tongues without interpretation in churches as well. Mm. That's probably something the PAOC would say isn't correct, but it's definitely commonplace in the PAOC regardless. Right. And then tongues as tongues is a gift, but then there's kind of another level of tongues or not another level, but another purpose of tongues, which is kind of the Pentecostals big distinction, which would be through the baptism of the Holy spirit. Right. Which is definitely the major distinction from everyone else. Hmm. And the baptism of the Holy spirit is basically an experience um, of the Holy spirit where the believer is empowered for witness and for spiritual growth. And, you know, the Pentecostals will take that from Acts 2, where we see Pentecost happening. And that's obviously where the name Pentecostal comes from. Right. Uh, and the reason tongues is embroiled in that is Pentecostals kind of, I guess, controversially see tongues as the initial evidence and like the only initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy, of baptism of the Holy Spirit. So a Pentecostal might say, if you haven't spoken in tongues and you haven't been baptized in the Spirit. Mm. I guess, but an important thing to note is when we're not, when we're talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit, a Pentecostal is not talking about salvation or regeneration. It's something we believe is subsequent. So anyone, like if you haven't spoken in tongues or been baptized, we still believe you to be saved. Like I haven't been baptized in the spirit via tongues, but I'm still, according to a Pentecostal church saved. It's a subsequent experience. That's just, uh, I know people don't like using this term in, in, um, Pentecostalism, but almost like a second work of grace. Mm. That term's not very popular, but it's, yeah, separate from salvation, but it's an empowering experience evidenced by tongues. Right. And that's definitely the big thing. So I, I got a couple of questions to follow up there. And again, Josiah and I are dear friends. This isn't a debate. We'll, we'll have our disagreements. <laughs> so if anyone's watching thinking, oh, Christian, you got to say something here, I'm not going to say <laughs> that. We'll have another show maybe, but uh, just we're trying to learn some more. So Maybe a question here, and I hear this a lot uh, from Pentecostals, especially online. You know how it goes with people saying who knows what online. But uh, so I, I had someone saying, and it, I, I think you know the individual, but uh, that a big part of the the second work or uh, oh second work grace, he said, wasn't the one that Pentecostals want to use. Whatever it might be for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that language surrounding there. Uh, my apologies for not remembering the polite way of saying it, but. Uh, he was saying that's something you need to pray for. And he it sounded like he was implying if you haven't experienced it yet as a believer that you're not truly seeking it. Is that something that you'll you'll hear in Pentecostal circles or is that more an outlier position? How exactly is it understood? Are you a, a second class of believer or less holy than the next person if you haven't been granted this second uh, uh, blessing or work or uh, this baptism of the spirit? Yeah, that's definitely a big issue in modern Pentecostalism. Um, well, the most Pentecostals and even the fellowship would say, no, there's no such thing as a second class believer. Uh, mm -hmm. Some have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and it's good and you should seek it. But if you are seeking it and haven't got it or aren't seeking and haven't got it, you're still on the same level as everyone else. Okay. But it is with Pentecostalism, it is easy to get that feeling of second class, especially, you know, when you get those kind of controversial camp meetings or youth camp things where 
everyone will kind of come to the front and they'll really encourage you to speak in tongues or mm. be baptized in the spirit. And it's kind of a big mess. And then, you know, it ends up, oh, it didn't happen to me. Why didn't it happen to me? And it kind of, kind of breeds that kind of feeling where people don't feel like they are good enough or something like that. But officially, and I think most Pentecostals would never say someone is a lower class Christian or second class Christian, but it's definitely an issue that's probably not very well addressed because it, it is something that it, it feels like it for some people, I'm sure. Right, right. And that, that's probably part of the, the, the pastoral ministry going forward and hopefully identifying. And, and, and of course, uh, this is a classic evangelical thing where some things that happen at the, especially the summer camps with uh, younger people, there, there's some issues that arise there. I know for Baptists, it's the whole, oh, getting baptized, like water baptism to use that term in distinction there. Of course, that, that's an issue. And then it leads to a lot of people getting baptized when perhaps they didn't really understand what was going on or maybe feeling peer pressured or maybe they did it right, but then felt uh, alienated. So understand that pastoral concerns officially, no second class sort of uh, church citizen or anything like that, but it, it can feel like that. So totally understand and appreciate that. I had a, a couple other questions and maybe on that note of baptism, I know it's a big controversial point with among a lot of Protestant denominations, how uh, to use the distinction that a lot of people resent, but I think we have to use it here. The, the distinction between baptism by the spirit and water baptism is uh, water baptism where people actually go into the water. Is that something you'll practice upon profession of faith? Or is that something you need to see some evidence of spiritual gifts for? How, how exactly does baptism as in baptism, baptism work out in Pentecostal circles? Yeah, so baptism, water baptism, probably pretty similar to most other evangelical churches. It would be encouraged to, like, as soon as you uh, have a confession of faith, you would be encouraged to have a water baptism. Mm. You don't need to speak in tongues or have any kind of evidence of miraculous gifts or anything. It's just uh, uh, if you have, if you come to have Lord or Lord, sorry, if you come to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you'll be encouraged or should be encouraged by your pastor to be water baptized. Yeah. And yeah, there's no prerequisite other than being saved. Mm. Um, it is interesting, though, with oneness Pentecostals, they're kind of the opposite. You kind of baptism in tongues kind of all is supposed to happen at the same moment kind of thing. Uh -huh. And then I guess it depends on the church, but they'll even tie salvation in with that. So a lot of uh, kind of uh, what's the word stereotypes about Pentecostals, I think, come from oneness because uh -huh. oneness Pentecostalism does have it a lot backwards in those kind of senses where you might have to speak in tongues to be saved or even be baptized and all those things. But as for regular Trinitarian Pentecostalism, yeah, it's, you should be baptized when you get saved. Obviously not everyone does, but whenever you would like to would be the best time. Hmm. Okay. So uh, maybe a comment and then some more follow-up questions. This is great, but uh, it, it does seem like Pentecostals today might suffer from stereotypes, which either come from Pentecostalism practice a hundred years ago or what's going on in the oneness circle. So I think that that might be encouragement for other evangelicals and Christians today. When you're speaking with a Pentecostal, uh, don't, don't assume that they're doing what you've heard about because that might've been an older practice, which there's been some change and development and growth, however you want to phrase it, or it's from a wildly different group and a group that you would say is outside the fold when it comes to Trinitarian Christianity and that, that core Orthodox foundation. So that, that's helpful. And, and I guess a, a follow-up question I have to ask as a, 
as a Baptist who talks about polity and church government a lot and how that all works. Baptism, uh, there's water baptism, there's baptism in the spirit. Uh, do you practice church membership and is church membership dependent on one of those, both of those? How does, how does that work? Uh, just in the fellowship, the family, who actually is a Pentecostal part of the church? Uh, yeah, I think most PAOC churches practice church membership. I think there's a few that don't. Like the hmm. I one church I was at, only the board was technically members of the church. Oh, interesting. So some reason for that, and that might have had to do with being a church plant. I don't exactly remember, but for the most part, hmm. uh, membership is a thing. And um, I believe baptism is probably a requirement. I don't remember. I kind of... I don't think I even filled out a form to be a member. I kind of just happened. You're supposed to fill out a form and, you know, talk to someone, but right. somehow I just became a member of my church. I'm not really sure how that happened. Mm. Just kind of happened one day, but yeah, uh, pretty much every church there's membership, but uh, you can vote on stuff, you know, vote on movements at the meeting, you know, money kind of stuff or uh, the membership doesn't really have a say in terms of, you know, hiring people. That's more the board, but then the board is, voted on by the members so it kind of all comes back down to the membership right. but as for how people would view it i think uh, there's plenty of people who aren't uh, written members of churches in the paoc but most would consider the member of the church regardless right. they just can't you know dot t's or write on the on the votes but mm. for the most part membership i feel like it's not a super big deal in pentecostal churches uh, mm. unless you you know want to be really active in i guess the leadership right but for the most part i'd I think congregants probably don't care as much like the church I used to go to when I was living at home. Like there were people there who had been going to the church for years and years, but weren't technically members, but they were still a very active part of the church. Hmm. So it is a thing, but it's not like a super emphasized thing, but it's a, it's a good thing to do for Pentecostals. Gotcha. And, and that that's always interesting where I, I think that's more common in evangelical circles where the churches are actually larger than the membership when it comes to attendance well it seems like in mainline protestant churches the there's so many members who are baptized but then when you get to the church on a sunday you won't see most of them so kind <laughs> of a on either end there's a bit of a, a disconnect but uh yeah. before we i uh, definitely want to hear more about your experience and what what you've gone through but before we get there one more question on the the i guess the theology stuff but uh prophecy is that a big part of your church tradition is that something you'll see practice has there been any change on that that's typically i know there's there's tongues and then there's prophecy are typically the the big ones we'll we'll sort of look at there is that how's that work out for you yeah prophecy is a pretty i guess important gift in uh pentecostal churches as well uh we kind of i guess it's on a well biblically it's i guess the more important gift from tongues but it's probably put on a similar level to right. tongues in pentecostal churches and I guess how that gift would operate in a Pentecostal church is the same way if someone's feeling like speaking in tongues, someone might speak a prophecy during whatever time in the service. And it would be usually an encouraging word um, to the believers or something glorifying God. And it's not normally something that would be predicting the future, as a lot of people might think when they think prophecy, oh, it's about the future. Not normally in terms of encouraging believers anyways in the church I've found. Right. And I guess... Uh, because I guess there's some controversy because prophecy can be a little iffy, even as we've seen in the past couple of years with the U.S. prophecy has kind of been a big thing and there's been a lot of error in it. So with uh, Pentecostals and how they kind of combat 
um, keeping false prophecy out of the church is usually what pastors will do is not all Pentecostal churches do this. It's kind of church to church. It's not like a fellowship thing, but uh, congregants will have to come up, tell the pastor, oh, I think I have a prophecy and it's such and such. And the pastor will, I guess, determine at that moment, oh, do I think this is, or do I think it's not? And they'll either allow or disallow the person to do it for that time, which I think it's, it's not a perfect way to do it, but I think it's sufficient in the Pentecostal church because it allows the, the leader of the church to determine if that is something that is biblical or something that is truly encouraging to the congregation. But there are some churches that kind of just whoever feels like speaking will speak and then nothing gets said about it. So that's where it kind of gets iffy and can lead to some bad stuff. But right. for the most part, the churches I've been in would probably be more like the, the former where you oh. should talk to the pastor. Right. And, and as you said that, I, I know, uh, oh, going on two or three summers now, I took a, a course on Canadian evangelicalism and we visited a, a Pentecostal church in the Kitchener-Waterloo area. And the, the pastor there mentioned how a big part of him becoming the pastor there was sort of, I guess, reining in some of the practice and trying to do those things in an orderly fashion. So it's it's interesting to hear how there is diversity, but I guess that that becomes a pastoral responsibility in addition to to what Baptists and Pentecostals might share an additional pastoral responsibility is keeping an eye on those things and listening well to what people are saying, where they might be coming from. So I'm sure uh, pastors there are constantly praying for wisdom and discernment as it relates to their, their congregants uh, practicing the spiritual gifts. So thank, thanks for sharing that. And maybe now this is the perfect segue. You got into it a little bit, but uh, the last big topic I wanted to ask you about, and this might be for some people, it's either oh, why, like, what's the point? I've been there. I've seen it. But I think for a lot of people, they're wondering in a Pentecostal church, what is actually going on on a Sunday morning? So maybe it might have, it's maybe been some time since you've had a, an exactly normal service with the, the COVID-19 <laughs> restrictions and all that kind of stuff on either numbers or what, what we are allowed to do or what we're wisely deeming we, we should do. But maybe before, thinking before all the restrictions and concerns about coronavirus and I don't know maybe things haven't changed much but uh what does a normal typical Sunday morning service look like in a Pentecostal church or at least the ones you've been to right okay well I uh the first major part of a Pentecostal church service there's a very large emphasis on musical worship hmm. so you'll see I usually usually get like maybe five or six songs only cut in half by some announcements but those songs can go pretty long sometimes so it's pretty oh. often for worship to be maybe even the first 40 minutes to an hour of the service would just be worship or wow. musical worship. Yeah. Yeah. They're often like, uh, depending on the church, like with a lot of, I mean, everyone knows Hillsong and there's Bethel and I know sometimes, well, those churches themselves can be iffy, but for the most part, Pentecostal churches like to use songs from them or modern more charismatic worship songs. Right. But it's still often you'll hear hymns or old songs, but there's a lot of emphasis on musical worship and even the, the worship leader themselves will often, you know, pause and give some kind of encouragement or not preach, but maybe even use a gift. Like the one person at my church, they will sometimes use um, a spiritual gift on stage and that's probably somewhat common. So hmm. musical worship is a big part. After that, you would get, I guess you have some of the, like tell people, if you're a new guest, this is what we are, this is who we do, that kind of stuff. But following that, you'd probably generally go right into, you know, a moment of prayer and then the pastor would preach. 
unless he's feeling some kind of um, move from the spirit to do something, which sometimes happens. And sometimes you'll get in between the pastor will kind of encourage everyone to pray uh, or just praise God on their own kind of thing for like maybe 10 or 15 minutes. That happens sometimes, not all the time. But then, yeah, the pastor will preach. Uh, as for preaching, I guess preaching is usually encouraged to be very spirit-led. But obviously, you can't really know entirely. Uh, preaching is like 40 minutes. I don't think preaching would be too different from other churches. I guess sometimes it can be a little softer theologically than other churches might be. Sometimes Pentecostals aren't as yeah, aren't as theological or intellectual, which isn't fully true. I know there's kind of a stereotype there too. Right. Anyways, yeah, pastor will preach. Following that, there is pretty often there's an altar call. I don't think altar calls are super often in other churches or super common, but they are pretty common in Pentecostal churches. So depending on what the sermon was about, pastor will often call people up for prayer, whether it's physically they need healing or spiritual oh, okay. healing or for something else. And there tends to be a prayer team as well. So the same people will come up and pray for people and the pastor will pray. And I guess, depending on what he's doing, we'll also anoint with oil and pray. Mm. And that can last a few minutes to, if no one comes up, but it can also long, last long after the service is over. So at that kind of point, it's pretty normal for the service to end and people for, for them to leave. Right. And there's usually another song. Um, yeah, that's usually the how it goes, I guess in terms of gifts, like gifts of the spirit, they would usually kind of coincide in between songs or between the song and the sermon is usually when you would hear them if you do. Uh, I'm sure there's probably other times where they happen mid-sermon, but that's not very common. Right. And yeah, after the service, people just hang out. I'm sure they do in other churches have coffee. That's become kind of the norm in a lot of evangelical churches, I think. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. And and maybe I'll I'll just uh pause you there and, and get your thoughts on some of the other things. And I'll briefly mention that that's so I've been to recently for an actual service, one PAO, PAOC service, and it felt very similar to what I might get. I for all I for all I knew, I was visiting another uh maybe a bit more charismatic Baptist church where the only difference was, as you mentioned, there was an altar call at the end, and it sounded like the emphasis was for physical healing where there were a team of people waiting up at the front if you wanted to go down and get hands laid on you I suppose I don't know if that was part theologically maybe you know I don't know if laying on of hands was part of the theological hey I'm healing by gift of the spirit or if it was just hey we're brothers and sisters let's get in for a hug while we pray kind of thing uh do, do you know if if I was looking at is there laying on of hands uh in the tradition there could be a little bit of both like um Pentecostals do like to I think they do like to lay on off hands just naturally as like friends, but I think that right. comes from the whole, oh, uh, but I don't think most people think about that when they do it, but there definitely is, you know, if someone does think they have the gift of healing or God gives them that gift in that moment, or if they're even praying for healing, I think it is common to mm. purposely lay on of hands or even people will do that where for uh, praying for someone to receive the baptism of the Holy spirit, they'll lay on hands. So mm. it is a common thing, I guess, but, it also might not be why they're doing it. So I guess it can be kind of hard to tell. It could right. just be someone being friendly or it yeah. could be either. Yeah. So. And, and that, that's the thing. Made, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're also, we're, we're, we're a couple of theology kind of guys we've been trained again. So we're, we're thinking about this stuff, but that that's the kind of thing people in the congregation might've inherited from 
a pastor who knew the theology and now they've just been doing it. And that's how things get passed down. So, so th thank you for the answer there. And I, I think the other thing I noticed, as you mentioned, there was a lot more singing and it was, I, I found pretty heavy on the front end of the service, as you mentioned, where the, and, and it was kind of cool, I suppose, when you think about the, the liturgical mime where there was, hey, we're starting this with praise to God, then we're going to hear from God, and then we're going to reach back to God in petition and asking him to move. So I, I felt like there was a, a natural order there. Maybe, maybe that was intentional. Maybe that's common for a reason, but uh, I, I will say I appreciated that. And I do see some, some overlap in, in my Baptist world where typically the songs are on the front end. But mo moving on from there, just a few questions. Is Sunday school something that Pentecostal churches will practice like for, for more focused teaching or training? Yeah, I guess when, a, when you think of Sunday school for a Pentecostal, their mind immediately would go to kids. Uh, okay. I know for like uh, some reformed churches, they'll have, like I've even been to one, where they'll have Sunday school before and it's like for the adults and more, yeah, guided teaching, like you said. Yeah. Uh, on a Sunday, they probably won't. Most churches do have pre-service prayer, but there's no teaching in there. There'll be mm -hmm. just people come early to pray. Um, there are often Bible studies during the week, which there might be specific teaching if they're doing it on the sermon or just a specific book but in terms of on the sunday there's not really an adult kind of sunday school thing for specific teaching not normally anyways right just kids sunday school okay well well that that i think there's probably a lot of overlap with uh evangelical denominations i know my church since having to switch to two services praise god we're we're full and needed more service room but we we no longer have the the adult kind of sunday school and it mostly would be for children and may, maybe it's those kind of conversations still happening the the other question i had about uh i guess church outside of the worship service is uh prayer meetings you mentioned before the service you might get a a prayer meeting going on but is there something during the week i know people often joke that uh Wednesday is the second Baptist Sabbath because Wednesday evening there's typically prayer meetings, but are there weekly prayer meetings or anything like that in Pentecostal circles? Yeah, there, I, I think most churches usually have a, uh, a prayer meeting weekly. Mm. Um, there's also at times, you know, there might be like, I remember my old church had a specific time when everyone was trying to do a fast together and they had like daily prayer meetings. Sometimes oh. churches will do that. Nice. And the, depending, I guess, on the culture of the church. Sometimes prayer meetings can go a very long time. Mm. Like, I think I've been at a prayer meeting for like six hours one time. That was, I was a kid, so I don't think I was very happy, but. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine not. Wow. Six yeah. hours. Must have been hungry. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I think that's more of a historical Pentecostal thing too, is mm. you might hear the word Terry for the Lord and where, uh. where they would pray for hours and hours and hours waiting for the Lord to either, I guess, speak or uh, or I guess they're just praying. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean they're waiting for something to happen kind of thing, but you know, they're just kind of praying and it right. could happen for hours and hours. I feel like that's not in a modern Pentecostal church It's probably not as often. Mm -hmm. I think that has to do with Pentecostalism becoming a lot less unique. So like a lot mm -hmm. of Pentecostals probably don't even know they're Pentecostals or go to a Pentecostal church, to be honest. Right. But, uh, for the core people that really care about Pentecostal beliefs, they're there's always that prayer meeting and often they can be lively or long, long winded. So, right. So that that's, that's helpful. And I think that what, what you just brought up where that's a, a struggle, I think for a lot of evangelical churches, just being aware of our, our history and our traditions in a positive sense and, 
and bringing those to people and helping them understand why we do what we do and what what actually we have uh, come we've concluded after long periods of thought when it comes to practices and and various things. So may, maybe a final question. This might be harder to answer, a bit more practical, but I know a lot of people will be wondering in movies or in cinema or like TV shows when people hear Pentecostals. Uh, they might think of a couple of traditions that might be outside of their own. They think of maybe the Black church and their very, I don't know, powerful practice of dancing and things like that, where they're in the services, they're moving with the spirit, I suppose. Or then maybe on another end of this, I, I think stretches even some Baptist churches, I would imagine primitive Baptist, but snake handling is something you you might have heard of or, or seen on TV. But uh, would you say, is there, do you have those sorts of extreme practices and maybe not your church specifically or churches you've been at, but in the PAOC in Canada, do you have those things that people might associate with Pentecostals from American media with either big shows of dancing or things as I would consider extreme, like snake handling or anything like that? Yeah, well, there's definitely no snake handling as far as I'm aware. Okay. I hope not. But uh, in terms of dancing, there's definitely some of that, like at my old church, uh, in Stouffville, there was a lot of a good amount of people from like the islands in the Caribbean. Yeah, and they were definitely uh, big into dancing, and um, I think there's there's a couple, there's a few churches at least, especially in the GTA, like Global Kingdom Ministries, or which is formerly Scarborough Gospel Temple. Mm. I think I remember going there as a kid, and there was a lot of dancing. It was a primarily black church, so it's probably mm. primarily more, I guess, a black Pentecostal thing. I don't recall ever seeing many. Uh, white people dance but <laughs> I think I've I mean even they will do it sometimes too like my father has mm. so that dancing is probably not as big as it is in the U.S. but right. you'll definitely see it in some Pentecostal churches for sure and it's not abnormal so right and, and that might be as you mentioned a cultural thing where even thinking of in the Baptist world uh, I imagine most Baptists aren't dancing some have even taken theological stances against that but <laughs> like you say with uh with the islands or the American South Black uh, Baptist dancing isn't a, a strange sight so uh that that's very helpful I think a lot of people have learned a lot about Pentecostal uh theology and the tradition today so Josiah thank you so much and may, maybe from here as we wrap up something I like to do with all my guests is there one final encouragement you can give us this is off the top of your head it might be a, a recommended book maybe it's to visit a pentecostal church or something like that is there one final encouragement or reflection you could give my audience as we close well i guess it would be to um uh, never forget the spirit i mean he doesn't mm. get overlooked but sometimes he's a little overlooked so he's right. always there in our daily lives leading us in everything we do and it's an important thing to to pray for him to always be with you and to lead you and even gifts if you want, but yeah, always remember the spirit because he's the one that kind of keeps us going. Mm. So. Yeah, that. Thank you for that encouragement. That's something I definitely endorse. Remember the spirit and lean on the spirit in your day-to-day -day lives. So Josiah, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully we can have you again soon on the channel and uh, we'll be praying for your, your big move. But uh, thank again, thank you. And to everyone who's joined us today, thank you for watching and learning. If you have any questions, please leave in the, in the comments down below. I'm sure Josiah will be around and maybe you could take a look. Him and I could talk and maybe get some answers. But uh, yeah, that's it for now. Thanks everyone for joining us on Christian's Colloquy. I'll see you again next time. Take care.